The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. This is a Gone by Lunchtime lockdown special. Presenting, reading from her new book, Jacinda, is Madeline Chapman. Ardern had a challenging task ahead of her. MMP had yet to result in a government formed by the minority parties, and if she wanted to be the first to make it happen, she had to find a way to bring New Zealand first and the Greens together. Peters didn't like the Greens. He didn't want to meet with them or have joint discussions, and he didn't like it when they came up during his negotiations with Labour. Peters was considering a deal with Labour. If Labour had to sort something out with the Greens to make it happen, that was Labour's problem. As the meetings wore on, Peters was nothing but cordial. He brought in various party members to discuss different portfolios, and occasionally a random person that no one across the table recognised, but who would turn out to be a friend of New Zealand first. I mean... (laughs) This is my favourite part of Mad Chapman's new uh, Jacinda Ardern biography. Um, <laughs> just, just, just this image of sort of these randoms off the street that Winston Peters has kind of recruited to be New Zealand first board members or portfolio spokespeople dragged into Parliament to sign off negotiations with the, the future PM. That's that's. Is it called? What's the book called? Jacinda Ardern: A New Kind of Leader by um, Leading New Zealand. Uh, author and garage builder Madeline Chapman, Matt Chapman um, yep. who who bullied you into reading this as a bit of sort of promotional content well, at the top of the podcast. Of course, Mad's book was launched halfway through lockdown, so it's still illegal to buy a physical copy until next Tuesday, when you'll be able to order it from any New Zealand leading independent bookstore, or you can get it on Kindle now. Uh, the audio book read by me uh, out hopefully in a few months. Uh, have you read it yet, Annabelle uh, Lee Mather? Pardon? <laughs> have I read any of it? Yeah. Um, ben calls me every night and reads me a chapter before I go to bed. That's beautiful. So you've got, yeah. you sort of curl around. Lulls me the to little, sleep. It's like, it's a bit like one o'clock, you sort of gather around the fire of Ashley Bloomfield to whisper sweet mm. numerical nothings and then you've got Ben Thomas. Yeah. It's actually one, one of the things that we that often is. discount about Ardern is just how weird she is. I think that gets kind of scrubbed over in a lot of the kind of glowing profiles, but she's very strange, you know, in a in a good way. Um my favourite story about her is, you know, that bizarre one Clark Gayford talked talk to the Herald on Sunday, wrote, writing about the um, the almond milk one. Um, 
He soaked his no, elements no, she, for she, it. She, she cares. She, he wrote that she cares so much about other people that one night she couldn't sleep because there was no milk for Clark's tea in the morning. So she got up in the middle of the night to soak almonds <laughs> to make almond milk. And then he could, and then he, which is a weird enough story as it is, because you'd think you could just get up ten minutes early and go to the dairy. But then he concluded by saying it was the best cup of tea I had ever had, and I hate almond milk. <laughs> so, <laughs> she, hey, hot hot tip, just under, just use your breast milk, girlfriend. Um, Way quicker. Tina, I think we're going to have to go back and cut that bit where he said that Jacinda Ardern is weird. I don't think that's allowed under Alert Level 4, which we're still in, so you probably just need to chop that and play music. My name is Toby Manhire. This is a special lockdown edition of Gone By Lunchtime. Uh, before we get on with it, I want to say a big thank you to Flick Electric, sponsor of the politics section and also to spin off members. Um, more than ever, without you guys, we would not be able to really still be alive at all as a little baby media outfit. So if you want the spin-off to survive and thrive, please help us out by helping out Flick Electric and please go and check out spin-off members. Really grateful for you for your support. Uh, Imagine the lockdown we... without electricity. That's oh, Ben Thomas. Hi, Ben. Great point. Really great Ima- point. About, imagine if um, there was no internet. How much we need electricity. <laughs> imagine if you can charge your phone. Imagine yeah. if all we had was our one hour stupid little walk that the government lets us every day. Um, nice to hear from you there, Ben Thomas. Good to see your face. We're doing this. We're the first ever podcast to uh, use Zoom as a technique for talking to each other. It's a Bit of a breakthrough. Annabelle Lee Mather is there. How are you? I'm a little bit sad today, Toby. Um, A great New Zealander passed away in the early hours of this morning. Her name was Jean Agnes Tufadi, Ni McCormack, Uh and she was the former wife of the late great Hone Tufadi, the poet. Oh, I didn't know that. She was a remarkable woman. she came from a long line of, well, not a long line. She, her, her family were a family of conscientious objectors. Um, mm. She had a mind for social justice. She was a school teacher. When she was in her eighties, she was doing wheels on meal, uh, meals on wheels for people much younger than her. She used to swim every day in the ocean. She lived to the ripe old mm. age of 94 and sadly passed away this morning. Not of COVID, I hasten to add, but um, she was a very special lady. So feeling sad about that, won't be able to go to her funeral. There'll be no funeral, but that's COVID. Oh, well, that's sad. Thank you for, thank you for mentioning that. That's really, um, that's, that's a sad loss. Um, we also have Tina Tiller who I don't know if she's mic'd up but we can see her there she is um burning the midnight oil to bring gone by lunchtime to you we're we're recording this on the evening of Wednesday April the 22nd it's coming up probably half past nine and it's 
almost exactly four weeks since the lockdown began. Um, and it, but it doesn't. It was going to originally finish after four weeks, or, um, but it's not. It's been extended. We'll get into that a bit more soon. But I should begin by probably confessing that this is actually not the first Gone by Lunchtime podcast that we have recorded. <laughs> we did one a couple of weeks ago. I don't think we need to mention what went wrong, do we? Anyone feel as though that's? I just want to address the elephant in the room which is the list of finalists for best podcast in the upcoming Voyager Awards. Um, So as a result of immense and intense professional jealousy, um, Gone By Lunchtime isn't a finalist. Is it not? We're not finalists. That seems seems like it must be a mistake. It's totally a mistake. I think it's Again, just professional jealousy. But you know what? We soldier on. We soldier on and we keep giving the people the podcast that they love. No one can Not me. No I'm, I'm wallowing us. in resentment. I am too. I, um, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay in this dark, dark hole of aggrievement for quite a while. This was the first year that I actually um, entered the voyages for about, probably about 12 years since I was a journo, I think. And um, so now I feel like a very personal sense of effrontery, having been missed out from various categories, rather than just the kind of performative anger that I usually do online on behalf of journalist friends. Um, they're a scam. The judges are like, I mean, somewhere between moronic and corrupt. It's the, the, the I mean, I'm, I'm glad there'll be no awards this year. Could not agree more, well, Ben. I was going to say that um, as in a, in a form of protest, I've decided I will simply will not attend this year. Um, although you've been nominated, Annabelle, for, for the um, uh, uh, top executive of the year. I is that think right? Which the is category... at last recognised for your executiveness. I think the category is queen of the fucking universe and... Yes. and I'm a finalist. So New, that, New Zealand that's Girl Boss of the Year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's the kiss my fucking ring category. That's what it and, is. Um, you are the the the, the favourite among the other nominate nominees. We in that other that other podcast which seems like an eternity ago now because time moves in very strange ways in the lockdown world, we discussed um what was his name? David Clark. Do you remember him? We haven't heard a lot of him since he was put into kind of super lockdown. <laughs> um, the health minister, after being found to have uh, driven across town, really, or 20Ks or something to the beach. We talked about that at length. What do we decide? Fun fact, if you go on the parliamentary website and you look at David Clark's bio, it says, David Clark, minister of the... Minister of health i enjoy bike rides and long walks on the beach during lockdown (laughs) does it yeah it does does it say that okay i'm not i'm not sure it it does say that but i mean i think as i I say these times do funny things to us all two weeks ago i think i was really wound up about um, the nascent authoritarianism of of the government in the state of emergency, the flouting of the rules by David David Clark, the way that it showed 
a kind of a leaning into double standards from our political class. And it, it made me worry about the future of New Zealand democracy. But now, like everyone else, I've just been acclimatized to it. Now, now I don't, now I don't, now I think I probably need two weeks just to get ready to interact with other people again. Um, I was going to say you're probably suffering from Stockholm syndrome, but I guess in Stockholm, they seem to just be free to do whatever they wish. So it's probably not a, a I, think, very, I think Stockholm syndrome useful. is called COVID-19 now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, uh, the, the lockdown, the alert level four, as we've come to know with this new taxonomy of, um, COVID-19 response lifts, not tonight at midnight, but in fact, on Monday night at 11.59 PM after Anzac weekend, Monday being the, what do you call it? The observance day or the something or other for Anzac day, which I think is on Saturday. That was quite a big decision. Everyone was glued to it on Monday at 4pm. Do you think that they kind of got that calculus about right, Annabelle? I, I personally do, yeah. I think, um, and I, I think that most New Zealanders are pretty accepting of it, as we've seen. I think most people feel like we've come this far. Um, we've made a massive sacrifice in our drinking habits and... <laughs> socializing dating habits tinder's dead and um if we've come this far then we might as well keep on going um it's hard to see how you could have pulled us out um any earlier when we're still registering deaths and and new cases and even though there's obviously a lot less of them You'd you'd feel a lot more comfortable if um, we we registered a couple of zeros before the lockdown lifted, right? What do you think, Ben? I mean, it's a there's obviously a real tricky balance to achieve uh, between wanting not to squander what has been uh, managed so far, but also it's a real thing for people running, especially owners of small businesses. This is a real thing. This is not some this is not this is not about people who are sitting in their mansions in in queenstown or mission bay this is people who are running little shops people who are running little little manufacturing outfits whatever yeah and i'm no epidemiologist or economist um disagree although although, you know yeah for for, for, four weeks into the lockdown and spending a lot of time online i'm i'm sort of about three quarters of the way through my phd in public health um (laughs) So speaking as a scientist, um, but also as a political commentator, you know, they got the balance right in terms of public expectation, um, which was that it was going to be very difficult, I think, to move straight out of level four into level three with two days notice. And the reason for that is because they seen there was such confusion over what level three was when uh you know the terms of it were announced last week by the prime minister because we've got to remember that the level three that we're going into next week is different from the level three that we were in for two days before this current level four the levels are actually a sort of movable feast although they provide this good narrative structure for the government to say we're moving clearly and signaling between levels and we know what to expect actually level four and level three are just designations for whatever the government feels are appropriate restrictions at the time Yes, so, on that, on that, it's a, it's a, because it's an interesting kind of political management point, and I think it's one that was uh, 
influenced or inspired by what they're doing in Singapore, where they they have a quite a similar sort of a, a bunch of levels, which I think they have color coded maybe. Um, but it helps you get. I mean, when you compare it to say Britain, where it's just oh, then we'll add this and take away that, it makes you feel a bit more like there's a structure or a scaffold or something. Yeah, it's an it's a brilliant narrative technique for getting the the country to feel like it's going in a particular direction or it's, you know, now we've moved out of level four, so we've achieved something. Now we know we're going into level three and we know what to expect again, even though it's different from the last level three we had. And yeah, I mean, it gives a certain impetus to the government's narrative, which is important to get people to buy into this stuff. You know, there's all sorts of factors that go into actually making a country of almost 5 million people follow the rules. You know, we don't have enough police, we don't have enough army to actually make people follow the rules. That's the case in peacetime as well as emergencies. And so you need to get people to volunteer to do it. One of the ways of doing that is providing them with the structure. Um, Another way is playing on New Zealanders... He's sort of self-congratulatory streak by saying that we're doing much better than the rest of the world, even though on a lot of metrics that's not really the case. Um, and and making people feel good about what is a very, very boring time with also a huge amount of sacrifice. Yeah, again, for those people in small businesses, for people in primary industries um, who haven't been able to get to work. You know, I think in the in March there were 25,000 new people on the uh unemployment benefit, the job seeker benefit rather, Um, that was an increase of about, I think it was only about 12% or something, Um, but that that, that was in March, right? Mm. And that was when wage subsidies were being paid out. The wage subsidy will go till June. That's probably disguising a lot of jobs that are going to finish around that time. Um, It sort of disguises a lot of the people who are, you know, kind of hoping that their small business will survive through this lull. Treasury, I think their best case scenario was unemployment would peak at about 8.8%, which is a level we haven't seen in this country for 30 years. Unless you're Māori, um, Ben. <laughs> well, that's even like, Māori, that's yeah. pretty much not, not unusual for Māori to have unemployment at that level. No, absolutely. And in fact, Māori unemployment is, is generally about twice Pākehā unemployment, and so currently that would be about 10%. Um, but... But the the problem is that, you know, as Willie Jackson, the Minister of Employment, admitted, the same calculus will apply in the recession. So when overall unemployment goes up to 8.7, Māori unemployment will be getting up near 20. So it, it is definitely going to hit those poorer communities. This is, this is the tragedy, right, is that there's no way of configuring a disaster so that it only hits, you know, those, those people on the top rung. There's been a lot of I think, kind of unseemly delight from, you know, (laughs) university socialists and people sort of, you know, accelerationists who are really glad that this has come along to, you know, hasten the end of capitalism. But it it wasn't 25,000 investment bankers who went on the job seeker uh, supplement last year, last month. Well, I'm sure I'm sure that that, they would they would dispute whether it was delight with the ones that I've seen. But it it is true, Bells, that the um, and pretty much every scenario including the public health realities and the economic realities that Māori are disproportionately affected it's it was interesting um early on we touched on this in the 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 um 
what I will call the the black album, or is it the white album? The what you know the the mystery tapes of the podcast that no one will ever Dead hear. Cats. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, there'll be boot there'll be bootlegs out there on the on the um, on the deep web, I imagine, quite soon. But we discussed a bit. Um, a couple of kind of columns, I think, that there were in the media by people with quite large platforms that were talking about how it was outrageous and racist that there was any particular attention or budget being devoted to Māori health concerns. Um, how did how did what did you think of that? Um, it, uh, it's kind of ironic that there's that sort of commentary out there at the moment because you know we saw the um, new the heads of New Zealand's media industry go before the um, the Epidemic Response Committee last week and um, talk at length about the importance of plurality of voice. Um, and yet uh, we see the, their platforms being dominated by middle-class white men who willfully ignore all the information that shows that Māori and ethnic and vulnerable communities are always hardest hit in these scenarios. And not once have I seen any of those organisations publish an opinion piece or a column by Te Ropu Papa Uruta, which is the, um, the Council of um, Māori um, health experts who have been providing advice and information on the epidemic. So, you know, that one of our supposed leading political um, journalists and commentators would so, would so irresponsibly um, pump that information out um, is really concerning and really weakens the argument, I think, for the, the, the supposed um, plurality of voice in the New Zealand media. And let's not let's not sort of tar all the media with the brush that we're using right now to paint a picture of Barry Soper, political editor of News Talk ZB, um, who was the person who took issue with that $56 million, which obviously is, is ridiculous. I mean, the, the government has currently spent about $10 billion on its response to this uh, crisis. Um, and, you know, what's 50 million bucks about? One two hundredth of that um, to go on on Maori health measures. So, I mean, it was it was a ridiculous assertion. But in, in a nice coda to that, the court's decision on Winston Peters suing Paula Bennett came out this week. Paula Bennett and others alleging that they had leaked his superannuation details around the time of the last election, and Winston Peters, for whatever reason, had brought in Barry Soper as an expert witness. <laughs> for his case in the court case. And there's a great paragraph in the judgment with the judge's view on whether <laughs> Barry Soper counts as an expert witness. <laughs> and the conclusion was that he did not. <laughs> and that his speculation about the source of the the leak <laughs> was was not such that the court would take notice of it. <laughs> I, I I did um it did it did sort of seem somehow uh, fitting that you know, in the floods of COVID, just everything in the news gets overwhelmed. But the first 
moments of normalcy to bob back up to the surface were both winston peters related reliable political controversies in the form of that court case outcome but also the announcement that the sfo uh, will be announcing whether they will be pursuing a prosecution with they'll be laying charges in the issues around the new zealand first foundation and it felt almost kind of comforting to see that even briefly pop into the news that, oh, you know, we can still rely on a good old-fashioned Winston Peters-linked scandal to have something to come home to, you know? It won't be Ashley Bloomfield forever. Um, you talked, Ben, um, you mentioned the kind of extent to which there's been a little bit of New Zealand's sense of itself that has played into the kind of trust and confidence element that we're doing better than others. There has been a, quite a lot of fawning international media to, hasn't there? I mean, I mean, I think no one notices it more than New Zealanders, but we have seen some Washington Post and some CNN and the Atlantic and BBC, a few others sort of getting, you know, that kind of bits of global mania springing up again. Yeah, and you know, and again, in, invaluable coverage. Although today the prime minister said that she wasn't interested in attracting uh, millionaires to live here for fifty million dollars worth of investment, or whatever the proposal by various business leaders was. That was the idea that people should be allowed to. Uh, I think it's just invest money, wasn't it? I mean, and then come and live here. Fifty million. Fran O'Sullivan was pushing it. In. Rod Drury, Drury from zero into it. Yeah, and you we see that I mean, about you we, into that. Do you? I mean, I think we should make it like two billion. You know, yeah. I mean, well, this like, is right. This like, actually used to be New ourselves. Zealand immigration policy. We need yeah. to back and ourselves. I don't want investment. I want yeah. the cash. Put yeah. the cash in. Yeah. You, you, just put the fucking cash in the box. Yeah. This this actually used to be New Zealand um, policy, and it used to only be five million dollars. And they still couldn't fill their yearly quota. And trying to fill the yearly quota was how we ended up with Kim.com. Um, you know, oh, and, yes. and so the idea that this, <laughs> that it, you know, in an emergency situation, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a plague engulfing the world. It should be $2 billion to set up an appointment with an immigration official <laughs> right now. <laughs> a bit like, um, do you remember Peter Thiel? managed to have his conversation about becoming a New Zealand citizen at the Santa Monica branch of <laughs> New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, two billion. So we're agreed, two billion. Sorry, you, you were in the middle of a, a um, of something there, uh, uh, Ben. I'll sorry to take you off topic. Oh, no. Two look, billion, you were saying. Uh, I mean, look, you know, why, why begrudge it? Um, I think that, you know, ranking countries that are taking sensible measures against each other is a pretty fruitless exercise because there's no way of controlling for all the variables that you've got. You know, did did South Korea stem the flow because of their contact tracing? Did they stem the flow because they wear masks? Did they stem the flow because they're better at washing their hands than New Zealanders? Um, and, and you can't control for all those variables. It's all just speculation at this point. Um, you know, you can tell where a system is completely falling down, like in America. Um, but, you know, it's probably not worth getting into hair splitting over whether we are better than Australia. But it is it is good for New Zealanders to know that we're on course and that we're, you know, that, that, that the reasonable efforts are being made. And, of course, we don't know. Like, that's the other thing. We don't, I mean, <clears throat> as... I mean, I mentioned this in a piece the other day, but the 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 only people you should listen to who 
can say with complete confidence now what the outcome of the steps we've taken will be. Are those people who told you three months ago that we would be in lockdown in New Zealand and conducting podcasts over Zoom? I mean, you know, we don't fucking know, right? Like, I mean, we can take steps that we think are likely to lead to better outcomes, but we don't know. The One of the things, though, I think, Annabelle, it's fair to say, isn't it, that we have been luckier than some other countries in having a sort of clarity of leadership, um, a sort of assuredness, and that's reflected in some of the polling numbers that show more than most places in the world a kind of trust and backing in the decisions that have been taken. I think it would be pretty churlish to criticise the Prime Minister's performance over this. And while, you know, of course there's... um, it's difficult to compare apples with oranges um, in terms of ranking countries and their performance. New Zealand um, is doing pretty amazingly well when you consider the fact that in the Bronx, you know, America are burying the dead in, in mass trenches and they're the richest economy in the world. So I think um, while it's not been um, perfect perhaps in and afterwards, I'm sure we'll look back and we'll analyse different aspects of what happened. And I'm sure there's areas that we could have improved. I think overall, the Prime Minister has again um, stepped up in a crisis. She's at her best in a crisis. We've seen that. Um, and she's, I would say, in a much stronger position now than she was pre-COVID in the eyes of most New Zealanders. I think the and other the, thing about this too is she's been able to dis- socially distance and politically distance herself from Winston Peters. It's like the country's had a holiday from Cordell Winston. Ja Rule hasn't had to hang out with him for ages and she's been able to um, not reinvent herself but literally so politically distance mm. herself from him and I think that's mm. Um, mm. Um, reaping rewards for her. She's got um, David Clark at the bottom of the country and Winston Peters at the top of the country. <laughs> <laughs> so she's got some, that's what you call proper social the distancing. The irony for David Clark is that, you know, New Zealand has done incredibly well and he could have been seen to be the most effective Minister of Health that we've had in a long, long time. He could be right at the centre of everything, soaking up some of Ashley Bloomfield's um, mana and he's completely neutered himself and actually made himself the most irrelevant politician and it's wow what you know for a guy who looked great on paper it's a uh, pretty sucky for him yeah it's not a it's a it's a pretty it was a um, costly walk to the beach it's a pretty <laughs> what's the word ignominious um swan song from politics for him but the one of the things more broadly, I think, in terms of what you're suggesting, is that while we can commend Jacinda Ardern and her bubble pal and finance minister Grant Robertson has been very impressive too, and maybe a couple of other ministers have been have been good. I think Chris Hipkins has been pretty good with a pretty tough hand that he's been dealt in terms of dealing with parents, teachers and all that. It's also shown, maybe, has it, the lack of depth, you know, like it when you look at some of the epidemic response committee appearances by other ministers, 
they haven't exactly covered themselves in glory. And is that is that a fair comment? Do you think, Ben, that 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 it's been a criticism that's been levelled in the past of the Jacinda Ardern uh, government that there are some very impressive people right at the top, but then a bit of a gulf in calibre as you move down. Yeah, I think one person you missed out is David Parker, the trade minister. Um, obviously, global trade is in turmoil right now uh, because you know, planes aren't flying, borders are closed, everybody has COVID. Um, and he's negotiated some very crucial deals, um, particularly with Singapore. Um, you know, I, th I think one of the key ones was you know, essentially food for medicine. They have lots of uh, pharmaceuticals. We have lots of farms. And keeping those lines open and actually keeping the supplies that we need coming into New Zealand during the crisis was, you know, pretty crucial. Um, I, I would actually take the opposite um, view to you. I think that these crises, this sort of crisis really papers over the lack of depth in labour. Um, because by, by its very nature, in an emergency, you concentrate power in the hands of a few individuals, Ardern, Robertson, Parker, and you can, t you, you can you know, apart from a few sort of <laughs> obviously bumbling, sort of, you know, clearly out of the loop <laughs> sort of select committee appearances where Stuart Nash tries to pretend that anyone's briefed him on anything in the past sort of few weeks, um, they, you know, you actually have the most competent members of the government running things. And, and this is why, you know, the, the, the public sees an extremely competent government because they don't have Phil Twyford out there ruining the housing policy or, you know, falling over tram lines. Um, and, yeah, they don't have their, their lesser performers out there to the same extent. It's just going to be like a kind of we've got this kind of intense concentrated politburo now as we move into this uh, socialist state uh, controlled by three people. Is that right, Ben? That's what I'm reading on the internet the, the, comments. The, the, the police state, yeah. The, the, yes. um, it's, I, I mean, you know, and we should never lose sight of that. This is an extraordinary period. Um, I was reading about how we still don't actually know whether people who have had COVID develop an immunity to mm. COVID, right? With over, you know, millions mm. of cases around the world. We still haven't established that. Now, my question is, with all of these millions of people who have recovered from COVID, why aren't we just sort of blasting some virus in their faces and finding out? And somebody <laughs> told me that it was because of medical ethics and the right to not be not be subject mm -hmm. to involuntary medical treatment. Mm -hmm. Well, look, we've suspended all the other rights. Freedom of mm -hmm. movement's gone. Freedom mm -hmm. of association's mm -hmm. finished. You know, let's just blast some germs at people. This is, I think, this is what you do on your other podcast, Ben. This is, this is gone by lunchtime. This is not your your other <laughs> podcast that you <laughs> you do for that select group of, <laughs> of of friends. What about? I mean, we talked about that committee. I don't know if you've watched much, much of it. Annabelle enjoyed the um, backdrops of the various people in their zooms with um, their artwork or mm. their bookshelves or whatever. Very fancy schmancy. Um, and what about Bridges, Simon Bridges, the leader of the opposition, the chair of the Epidemic Response Committee? What about him? How do you think he's I done? feel like Ardern giving him that position as the chair of the Epidemic Response Committee was like being given a pass by Carlos Spencer. And rather than going and scoring a try... All he scored is own goals. 
Um, a classic example was when Kevin Kenrick, the CEO of TVNZ, appeared before the um, committee and mm. talked about TVNZ being in competition with the likes of Netflix. And Simon said something like, I, I probably shouldn't ask this, but if you're, if Netflix is your competition, then why the hell are we funding you? And Kenrick said, you're not. And Simon said, ah, I, 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 uh. <laughs> it was the weirdest yeah. exchange that became a roaring Twitter meme for the, for about 24 hours. But, it's just strange because it's such a a great role from to to launch into bigger more important issues and he just hasn't been able to capitalize on it I feel like Simon is in the position that Andrew Little was in when they used to call him Angry Andrew you know he, Mm. he would bark at every passing car and I feel like the comment that he made on Facebook that became the big news story in, in the last news cycle the issues he raised mm. about PPE um, and contact tracing were actually reasonable issues to raise but people are, are so tired of the constant barking that um, he's you know mm. almost rendered himself irrelevant yeah because he, he started off very fired up and adversarial and antagonistic and then he seemed to kind of get a sort of inhale a big drag of uh statesperson like and it was kind of oh this is quite good he kind of gets it now and he and then as he went in to chair that committee he seemed to do it quite well but then something kind of changed in the last week and i don't know whether it was pressure internally whether he just got bored or whether he felt as though he needed to be a bit sharper or kind of meaner and it just lands so badly that facebook post you you mentioned and ben you've written about this for a piece of the spinoff which is going to appear in the morning it'll be up by the time this podcast is but it just see it's that kind of reading the room thing that people talk about and it's it's also just seems to it seems like what's how do you describe this? It's like temporarily blind, you know. It sort of doesn't understand that you don't have to do everything now. Sometimes it's some, and it's I don't know whether it's a curse of the the almost twenty four hour news cycle or social media or something. Yeah, it's like these people who feel as though they have to post on everything, you know. Like I must have an opinion on something that I've got no view, no, you know, there was a, there was a burglary at a haberdashery store. I must have a view on haberdashery. You don't, you don't have to have an opinion on everything. And sometimes when people are focused on other things, just stop, mate, just stop and take some time to look a bit more statesman and wait until things will unbundle a bit. Things will unfurl. Things will change. There's going to be some terrible stuff coming. Um, and you can, at that point, you know, you can put down a few markers, but be a bit more, I don't know, just show a bit more gravitas or something. What do you think, Ben? Yeah, I think that's totally right. It's like I read in the spinoff. <laughs> um, you know, so far, no prizes have been handed out for being right about bad outcomes from COVID in advance. You know, David Seymour was the first guy to say we should close the borders with China. And people said that he was um, either being an alarmist or even being a racist. Um, Now, the only question is, should we have done it sooner? Um, And, 
you know, Bridges may turn out to be right about, you know, we should have adopted the Australian model. I mean, although we'll never actually know for sure, but sentiment may swing that way. Um, but no one's going to remember and say, oh, yeah, he was right. You know, uh, right now, people are sort of looking for a bit of hopefulness. There are experts uh, raising questions about the government's contact tracing. There are, you know, unions and professional bodies who are raising consistent questions about the distribution of PPE, which today the Prime Minister, I saw in a news headline, shot down. Right. So from the, the podium at the Beehive, mm. the Prime Minister said that she didn't accept frontline health mm. workers' testament that they weren't getting the PPE they needed. So, you know, as with any gigantic bureaucratic operation, you know, which is ba basically being done in real time, of course, mm. there's going to be hiccups. Of course, nothing's going to go perfectly out of this. Bridges has a lot of time, this is speaking cynically, well, this is speaking politically, right? Obviously, as New Zealanders and as, and as people, we should all be hoping and praying that Jacinda Ardern wins in a landslide later this year because she's kept, the, kept COVID out of the country and somehow kept the economy completely afloat. In reality, only, you know, one of those things is guaranteed not to happen. There will be a big downturn in the economy and we don't know the future for the virus. And, you know, there's still a long time in the election. You know, we've only we've been in lockdown for four weeks, no matter how long it feels. Mm. There's still a long time till the election. And Bridges right now just seems to be burning just, you know, sort of incandescently <laughs> his relationship with the public um, to a point. Yeah, like as Annabelle said, um, you know, if Jacinda Ardern can do no wrong, Simon Bridges can do no right. Even yeah. the perfectly reasonable criticisms he's raising now are getting attacked with something approaching a fury. If you listen to Radio New Zealand, you know the which probably has the strictest editorial standards of any media outlet in New Zealand. You know the host of Morning Report just went for him yesterday. What I thought was particularly telling, though, about that post is that if you look at um, Bridges on Twitter. Every time he tweets, like, 99% of the responses are shitposting back to him, just tearing him apart. But Facebook is quite a different audience. And um, just through my own personal observations of watching how our stories are responded to, for example, on the News Hub website, um, yeah. there's a much stronger sort of redneck, conservative um element on Facebook who would naturally um, swing towards bridges. So I thought it was interesting that it was that it was actually on that platform that he received such a, a huge backlash. I expected to see I'd expect that on Twitter, not so much on Facebook. But I think too that when you start talking about the thousands of emails you've received, and I imagine that most journalists in New Zealand will now be OYAing Simon's emails to see those thousands of emails. And you're quoting, you know, Margaret, who you may know. Um, it just looks weak. It's a bad position to be in when really he should be at the top of his game, pricking the conscience of, conscience of the government and running yeah. rings around them. Yeah. It was it was it was absolutely the case that at that committee today there was a parade of medical professionals, people who are from organisations related to the uh, medical sector, and they all had very real and very kind of 
specific concerns about things like protective equipment, which are really important, and there is a, a big disconnect between what uh, the Director General of Health, Ashley Bloomfield, is saying, saying and what is being coming out of these the different regions. And that's there's a lot of it's presumably in large part due to the, due to the way DHBs work and dysfunctions in various parts. And you would have thought what Bridges needs to do simply is navigate them, conduct them, help them, uh, pledge to pursue those issues and not to let them dry up. But instead, it's almost like, I mean, you were talking about him burning and I was imagining um, him, that, you know, we have these kind of slightly serene, quiet streets at the moment. And he's the guy running up and down at shouting. You know, it just doesn't somehow fit the mood of the country at the moment to do that. Good, we agree. Um, uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 I think we're, ne we're, we're nearly done. Um, uh, the parliament is going to resume next week under alert level three. There will be, Winston Peters will return from the north and uh, David Clark from the south and a few others and they'll Physically Do you think David Clark will return? Turner. I think there's meant to be there's only meet about thirty MPs on there. Yes, of course he will. No, I mean he couldn't not. You couldn't not have the health minister return. It would be it would be too. I mean you couldn't have he he couldn't stay in the health portfolio and not return. Um, and he has to be in the house to answer questions. You know they're going to be they're going to be um, questions. Well, I, will be, if, of, of course, if he's not in the house, he won't be able to answer questions, and they'll they'll be able to depute those answers to somebody else. So, <laughs> so let's, let's, let's keep the reverse <laughs> of the usual. Jacinda Ardern will answer questions on the behalf of every single portfolio from here on in. Yeah, um, it might it might turn out that there's some very important investigative work to do at the Southern Lakes DHB. <laughs> um, uh, and so that's good. And we've also got still the election on September 19. Do you think, Annabelle, that that can work? Or do you think that that is going to be pushed back for a couple of months, as Winston Peters would rather like? I imagine that the government will be very keen to stick to that date. Mm. I imagine the government would be keen to bring it forward a few months. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think as soon as I think as soon as we get to level two, you'll be allowed out of your house for essential activities, for recreation for one hour, and to vote for the Labour Party. Emergency legislation to allow <laughs> ballot by Zoom. You just need to log on and give a. Um, supporting symbol. Um, well, look, that was um, it's very nice to see uh, your beautiful faces um, and hear your voices. And thank you very much, Tina, uh, for staying up with us. Um, what 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 happens next, Bells? Have you got? Have you are you are you going to have got any? Have you been thinking about what takeaway you might order uh, come this time next week? Um. I would literally eat anything at the moment prepared by another mm. human. I think about mm. menus <laughs> and the idea of walking into a room and you sit down and and mm. someone brings you a list of food, all sorts mm. of amazing dishes, and they ask that you if amazing. you want one or more. Yeah. And then you order yeah. it, and they they cook it, and they bring it to you. 
Can you imagine the fucking luxury, the decadence, the decadence, then, the genius? Do you go and do you, go and, <sighs> do you have to? Then you go and do the you do the wash up the no. dishes and wipe down the tin. No, you don't even. No, you just you get up and and you run out of the restaurant really quickly before they ask you to pay. It's phenomenal. <laughs> um, okay. We'll, um, we'll, we'll, the streets um, are no I'll, longer lined with police, <laughs> so you can make like a, yeah. a swift getaway. <laughs> ben, what are you looking forward to? What are you looking forward to at Alert Level 3? Oh, shit. I'm going to get some Cafe Barbecue Duck. I'm going to mm-hmm. get some Deep Fried Octopus. Um, yeah. Ooh, is the Fed Deli, are they clicking and collecting? I don't know. that. I don't know. I couldn't tell you. Okay. I've been going on um, to the website to search to which of my restaurant, which of my favourite restaurants have been applying for the wage subsidy. And then when I go, I'm going to quiz their staff and make sure that they actually got paid it during the lockdown. <laughs> I love it. Contactless, but with an interrogation. Um, well, thank you guys. Uh, love you lots. And we'll catch up again soon. Kakite uh, See you guys in the outside world. Kia ora e te iwi, Kiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.